Beruchim Abayim Rabotai Welcome to another edition of our Thursday night class uh, Tonight this would be a special edition Being that we are Veering away from the Parashat Shavua In order to discuss a most important topic this might be the sequel to a shiur that we have given a few weeks ago on the importance of Amen. This might be the, uh, the follow-up in order to give a complete uh, picture. But for all those that are sticklers that need to have some connection from Parashat Shavua, so I will begin... With a pasuk in the parasha that says, "Vegam akimoti et biriti itam latet lahem et eres kenaan et eres megurehem asher garuba." God promises Moshe Rabbeinu that what He promised our forefathers Abraham, Isaac, and Yaakov to give them the land of Israel. So God promises Moshe that that. That promise will come true. So the Baalat Turim says on the word, Latet lahim, to give them. So he says the numerical value of the word Latet, Lamid Taf Taf, is 830. If you know your history, the first Beta Mikdash <coughs> lasted for 410 years, the second Beta Mikdash lasted for 430 years. Excuse me, 420 years, which brings a subtotal of Beta Mikdash to 830. So the Pasuk says, Latet Ota. God was hinting, says the Balaturim, Latet is going to be Latet number of years of Beta Mikdash in Eretz Israel. So, what does the Beta Mikdash have to do with our talk tonight? In a few weeks from now, we're going to read the Az Yashir. A song that we sing every day in the prayers. At the end of the Az Yashir it says, The Pasuk says, that we are going to come to Eris Israel. We're going to be Firmly planted in Eretz Israel, Machon leShiftecha. That is going to be the foundation, the Machon of our settlement. Paalta Hashem, God, you have created, you have done. Mekedash Hashem, Mekedash, the temple of God, Konenu Yadecha, that was established by God's hands. Says the Zohar, the word Machon, which means. Established, the Zohar says, "Al tekrem machon ela mechuvan." Mechuvan means parallel. The Zohar teaches us that there is a Beta Mikdash in heaven, and that Beta Mikdash is parallel to the Beta Mikdash on earth, which means there are two Jerusalem's: the Jerusalem shel Maala and Yerushalayim shel Mata, and therefore. Machon is mechuvan 
that it is parallel to your dwelling in heaven. Today we do not have a Bet HaMikdash. But the Navi says, That while we don't have the major Bet HaMikdash, we have the minor Bet HaMikdash. That's called Mikdash Me'at. What is Mikdash Me'at? What is the minor Mikdash? Amar Rabbi Yitzhak, Elu These are referring to the synagogues and the Midrashim that are in Bavel. Bavel was the exile. It doesn't mean only Bavel, it means outside of Eris Israel, which means today the closest institution, the closest structure to a Beit HaMikdash is a Beit Knesset, is the synagogue. And that synagogue is also parallel to the great Mikdash in heaven. Just like in the Beit HaMikdash, the Pasuk says, That God rested His Shekhinah and communicated through us, through the cherubs of the Beit HaMikdash, so too today, the major presence of God is found in Batei Kinesiot, in the synagogues. Has Shalom, it is not our intent tonight to come and speak uh, prosecution against the Jewish people and their behavior in the synagogues. I think that if the decorum and the uh, lax attitude that we might have towards our synagogues might come from our success. Because we're so familiar with the synagogue, Baruch Hashem, and because we attend it every single day, some people three times a day and some more, so the Bet Knesset has become an extension to our homes. We're so comfortable with the Bet Knesset that it is, it is like our living room. It is like our den. And therefore to our credit, Baruch Hashem, if we were only coming to synagogue once a year, so maybe we'd have the reverence and the awe that is demanded. So Hazm Shalom, I'm saying it's because of our success that we're so... Uh, 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 chronically attending the synagogue Ken that maybe like the Gemara says Davar she'adam ragilbo kevan de dash dash when a person becomes accustomed to something and he falls into bad habits so it's just done without any thought it just becomes second nature it becomes rote and routine and therefore it is our intent tonight to remind ourselves, including the speaker, of what exactly Bet Knesset represents, and maybe to become a little motivated that our behavior and our decorum in the synagogue must be uh, on a higher level. The Zohar writes, and I paraphrase, all the troubles and all the problems that come to Klal Yisrael is ba'avon, is because of the sin of disrespecting the Bet Knesset. Which means all the enemies and all the persecutions and all the, the different hamans of every generation, whether it's Saddam Hussein in our generation, Yemachshemov, Abed Zikro, whether it's the party of Hamas, or it's the president 
of Iran, Shem Rishaim Yirkavu, all these people, the Zohar is telling us that the enemies of Israel feed off of disrespect of the Bet Knesset. I am hesitant to tell you about the great pogroms of the years Tahvetat in the 1600s the Cossacks went against our nation in one of the worst and the most horrific and the most miserable attacks it's a pogrom is, is, is not a right word for what the Cossacks did to our people hundreds of thousands of Jews throughout Europe were brutally massacred I think that the 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 massacre of the Cossacks is equivalent if not worse than to what the Germans did to the Jews you read the stories over here what they did um, as I said I'm a little hesitant to go into the details what they did to men, women and children to little babies I'm reading from the book here and again whoever would hear the atrocities that were done their ears their ears will, will close and their hair will stand what they did to the Sifre Torah they took the Sifre Torah and they ripped them and they made them into sacks they made the Sifre Torah, they made shoes out of them and wore it. They took the Ritzurot of the Tefillin, the straps of the Tefillin, and they wrapped it around their legs. They took the boxes of the Tefillin and threw them in the street. They used them to pave the streets and the bridges. Some of the rivers turned red from the blood of tens of thousands of Jews. Jews died from famine. They were forced to cannibalism to eat themselves. And the disease that broke out, the great Mikubad of Shimshon Astropoli. The story is told that he was killed, that a Cossack took a sword and went from the bottom of his body all the way up until the sword came out of his head, Rahman al-Silam. This is the events of Tahvetat. There was a great rabbi called the Baal Tosfot Yom Tov. Again, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of Jews. The Baal Tosfot Yom Tov fasted in order to get a revelation from God why this happened to our people. Why did we have such Gezerot Kashot? And they came to him in the dream with the following words, Because the Jews are disrespecting and belittling the sanctity of the synagogue. And they're speaking and they're talking in the synagogue, whether it's at the time of the prayers or at the time of before or after. Don't ask what this means, but the word speech is dibur. 
It has a vav. By speaking they were, they damaged, they blemished the letter vav. And from the word dibur, without a vav, came to spell the word devir. Devir is pestilence. Devir is disease. Devir is trouble. Imagine that. In the heavens, they said the sin of tahvetat was because of lack of kedushah, lack of sanctity given to the synagogue. It was because of that the Tosfot Yom Tov penned a special prayer, a special Misha Berach, that they would say every Shabbat, and they would specifically bless all those who did not speak in the synagogue, with long life, with health, and all the great things. This is what the Zohar was talking about. This is a reality, Rabotai. And Hazbe Shalom, we didn't come tonight again to awaken judgment. As I said, our people are good. Our people are familiar with the synagogue. And that's better than most communities. Our community prides itself in synagogue attendance, prides itself in beautifying the synagogues, and of course... Donating generously to its upkeek. As a matter of fact, it's been said from the great Admor from Gur. Why was it that the Holocaust did not affect the Middle Eastern Jewry? How come the Sephardim was saved from the Holocaust? This is coming from a Admor, a Hasid. That Mur Migur said, Because the Sephardim were known to be vigilant in their respect to the synagogue, and their respect to the Beit Midrash. And that's why God spared them from the Holocaust. This is not my words. I wouldn't have the guts to even attempt to figure out why us, why them. But clearly, all agree of the advantages. There's a story that has been confirmed by the great rabbi called the Deborah Sin, Rav Moshe Stern. He verifies a story in the times of the Holocaust, where in the year Tavshin Dalid, there were people that were walking to a certain train station, and all of a sudden a lady appeared to them. And the lady said, Yehudim, Jews, do you know why you're suffering so much? By the hands of the hands of the Nazis. Because you're talking idle chatter in the synagogue during the prayers. And you do your your personal business, you use the synagogue for it. And all of a sudden she disappeared. And nobody knew where she went and who that lady was. And of course, the implication of the story is it was a heavenly sign. Again, far be it from me, even that I'm reading the story that is confirmed, to say that that was the reason. And Hashem. God knows the secrets and God knows why things happen. And has was done for us to come along and say that such a, a major calamity happened only because of this or that. It is not for us, it, it, it is cold, it is, it, is, it is crude for us to come and even attempt 
to try to explain the ways of God. But it seems that the Hachamim are saying that this certainly was a contributing factor. And if how careful do we have to be when it comes to this mitzvah of Kedushat Beta Knesset. There's a piece of Zohar that says that when the Beta Mikdash was destroyed, so the stones of the Holy Temple scattered throughout the world. They pulverized the stones into pebbles. And the Zohar says those pebbles went to all four directions. To all the countries where Jews are going to be destined to have a, a settlement. And wherever a stone of the Beit HaMikdash fell, the Zohar says that place was earmarked for the construction of the synagogue. That means if we're sitting tonight in the synagogue, Haradabanon in Brooklyn, New York, that means a stone from the Temple of Jerusalem somehow made its way to the corner of East 9th Street and Avenue S in Brooklyn and landed specifically on this spot. Hence, a synagogue had to be built on the spot. And this is true to the synagogues across the United States, across Europe, North America, South America, the synagogues in Curacao and on the islands, in any place where there's a Beta Knesset, know that that place was destined from the time of the Hurban by Beta Mikdash. And the Gemara tells us good news. Our synagogues eventually are going to uproot themselves at the times of the Mashiach. And they're all going to be replanted in Eretz Israel. The synagogue that we're in tonight also one day will have the exact structure. It'll lift itself up from the ground and it'll have a, a spot. It'll have its own area in Eretz Israel because it is a miniature Beit HaMikdash. So when the third Beit HaMikdash is going to be built, it's going to be built with a lot of smaller, I should call them satellite Beta Mikdash. It is going to be the big Beta Mikdash in Jerusalem. And that every synagogue in the world is going to have a spot in the Holy Land. And worry not, the Akamim tell us, Eretz Yisrael is called Eretz Sevi. It's a land that expands. That when there's no inhabitants, it gets smaller. It contracts. And when Jews move to Eretz Israel, somehow it gets bigger, it expands. The Zohar says that the Aron Kodesh, the holy ark of a synagogue, that's like the holy of holies, it's like the Kodesh Kodeshim of the Beit HaMikdash. Now, I must tell you, that in the Kodesh Kodeshim in the Beit HaMikdash, there was a parochet. There was a curtain. This curtain separated between the holy and the holy of holies. As the Pasuk says, And for that reason the minhag is that in front of the Aron Kodesh, one must put a, a parochet. One must put a curtain. And some have the minhag not only to put the curtain on the outside, 
but they put yet a second curtain on the inside behind the doors. So serious is this mitzvah to put a curtain in front of the Aaron that Hakam Yosef may live and be well has a teshuvan yahavedat. When the question was asked to him, there was a certain bit where they made a very elaborate Aaron Kodesh. You know, they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars. And Shalem Yisrael, the Rabbah says it's a mitzvah to spend money to beautify the Bet Knesset. A Bet Knesset must be more beautiful than the homes that we live in. It must be the most ornate and the most elaborate structure. Not that it should be ostentatious, from the outside, but if it's built by the community, it must be built with the recognition that this is the house of God. That this is a dwelling that must be built according to the one that dwells in it. It must be respectful. So they made a beautiful Aron. This is very praiseworthy. So the fellow that donated the Aron said, I don't want you to put a parochet on it. Uh, nobody's going to see the, uh, the artwork. Nobody's going to see the, uh, you know, the, the beauty of it. Uh, our, uh, our synagogues are not museums. Hakam was posek, doesn't matter, you must put a parochet. Why? So when you're sitting in the Bet Knesset, you look at the parochet, you say, oh, behind that parochet there's something special. There's the Holy of Holies over there. It keeps it modest, it keeps it separate. And what is zechut it is that Hakamim talk about to the fellow that merits to open the doors of the Aron Kodesh. The fellow that opens the doors of the Aron Kodesh at that moment has the status of a Kohen Gadol. That's entering the Holy of Holies. It's one of the most coveted honors that a person could receive in the synagogue. And don't take anything for granted. The synagogues that modeled the Beit HaMikdash built out on Kodesh with specific design. The Zohar talks how the doors of the Aron should be two doors. Two doors that open up like the Aron. And the Zohar talks about two doors with hinges. Interesting. Some uh, modern uh, synagogues, of course, have changed the construction of what a classic Aron is supposed to be. But the, the rabbis of Zohar tell us, there's a pasuk. It's a pasuk in Yeshaya. The pasuk is teaching us when the Mashiach is going to come. It's going to be a great amount of kavod, shalom and kets, and unlimited peace at the time that the Mashiach is going to come. But I want you to take notice that in the word limarbeh, there's a mem. The mem is in the middle of the word. Just think in your mind how you spell a mem. But if you look in the Tanakh, that mem is spelt as a mem sofit. It's a closed mem. Mem setumah. We only use a mem setumah at the end of a word. This is the only time in Tanakh where a mem setumah is used in the middle of a word. And the Mepharshi want to understand why. So the Midrash gives a mashal. 
the Midrash says that the coming of the Mashiach is going to be analogous to the birth of a baby. Now don't, don't hold me responsible to explain the biology here, but the Midrash does say that when a lady gives birth, only God decides when the baby is going to come out. Even the greatest of doctors, Tov Shebarofim, cannot predict when the baby is going to come out. They can hook up the mother to sonograms and to all sorts of machinery and try to predict exactly what month she's going to give birth, but they cannot predict the day. And even on the day that she goes into heavy labor, they cannot predict the exact moment when the baby will come out. Even with the greatest of doctors and medicine and technology, that key still remains in the hand of God. And the Midrash says that in the womb of a lady there's two doors. And the doors have hinges. And Boreolam has the key. And when Boreolam decides to open, he opens the doors and the two doors come open from the hinges and it comes out. And the Midrash compares it to the letter Mem. Mem Setumah, if you think of a Mem Setumah, it's a box. But on the upper right, there's a, a Yud that protrudes up from the letter. And on the bottom left, there's a Yud that protrudes down from the letter. It's a box with two Yudin. The way the Midrash calls it, Shnei Daltot and Shnei Yudin. Two Dalids, a Dalid this way, a picture of Dalid. Going from left to right and down. And then another Dalit upside down. Going from the bottom up. That's two Dalits that makes the box. With two Yudin, a Yud on the top and a Yud on the bottom. So the Midrash says that's like two doors with hinges. When the Mem Shittumah is closed, the Dalits open up and the baby comes out. So the Midrash says, that's how it's going to be when Mashiach comes. Like a mem setumah, God is going to open up the doors. Like a child giving birth, the both doors are going to open up. And Mashiach is going to be, to reveal himself. That's why the books bring down, that if a lady is in her ninth month, and she's about to give birth, it is proper that her husband... Get pitihata echal. That he should go to the Sefer Torah, to the Aron Kodesh, and open the doors. And at the time that he opens the doors, he should say to Bonosh and Olam, Keshem shepatahti daltea echal bekalut, kach yepatah daltem, betnashel ishti, betelet benitsa'ar. Just like I opened the doors of the Beit Midrash, the two doors with the hinges, I opened it easily. So too, the womb of my wife should open up, and the baby should come out also, just like I took the Sefer Torah out, the Sefer Torah like the baby. Just like I took the Sefer Torah out very easily, so too the baby should come out as well. The way you see what a Beit Knesset is, look at the power that's invested in the furniture of the Beit Knesset. Here, if ladies are giving birth easily, it's because their husbands have an opportunity of opening the doors of the Hechal even once. This is Kedushat Bet Knesset that we're talking about. The Birkei Yosef Rav Hida. 
he has a question, if it's permissible to have the synagogue built, al goi. He comes out, if you have no choice, it's permissible. Unfortunately, we're living in a time where we don't have too many Jewish builders by profession. But Lu Yitzuyar, if we would have such a situation, certainly a bet 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 Knesset, like the bet Migdash, has to be built by Jews. So we have no 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 options. So we allow the synagogue to be built by a goy. But the Haida writes, at least the Aron Kodesh should be built by a Jew. Now I'm not saying this is halakha. Because the halakha says even if it's not built by a Jew, it's okay also. But it shows you the sensitivity. It shows you the, the level of, of care that the construction of the synagogue entails. The Rambam writes in his halakha, it is a mitzvah to build a synagogue in any place where there are ten Jews. In a community, it's a mitzvah to designate a certain area and call it a beta Knesset. Vechofinit b'nei'a'id al-kach. And so important is the construction of synagogues that you can force the community to pay for it. What is force the community to pay for it? You can go into their bank accounts. You get somebody's bank account. Or you get his credit card. And you assess a tax on them. You say, oh, there's a, there's a thousand people in the community. It costs such and such to build a synagogue. You run his credit card through for a hundred dollars. And you put on it shul tax. The guy gets his credit card, but he says, what kind of business is this over here? I, I didn't pay. Kofin, the Rambam says we could force you. You don't want to pay. We're able to take, it, take the money away from you by force. Baruch Tabair, the Pasuk says, Blessed are you in the city. Who is truly blessed in the city? Says the Gemara Baba Mitzvah, A person that's home is next to the synagogue. He is truly blessed that he's in walking distance of the Bet Knesset. And I say again, our community prides itself when it comes to this mitzvah. When we buy our homes, the most important factor in purchasing a home is how close is it to the synagogue. If it's in close proximity and walking distance, so we think of purchasing a house. And our homes are in neighborhoods where the synagogue is the centerpiece of the neighborhood. What I mean to say is, if you ask a person in our community where he lives, they might say, I live by Sharetzion, or I live by Bet Torah, or I live by Deal Synagogue, or I live by Oil Yaakov and Lawrence. Which means the synagogue is the point of demarcation. And even when we travel, even when we go to our vacation homes, the first and foremost in our minds is to build a synagogue, and not a temporary synagogue. The synagogues that we have in our resort areas are more more beautiful than some of the permanent synagogues in major communities of the world. That's the importance that our people have placed on Kiddushat Bet And I say again, Ashleim, Ashleim, 
they are fortunate that they have adopted and clung to such an important mitzvah. And even in our resort areas today, where the community is spreading out, so now ten more people get together and say, we need to build another synagogue. So you see already our loyalty to this halakha. Harabenu Bahya writes that one cannot fathom the zikhut if he has a merit in donating money to build a synagogue. Whether he builds a room in the synagogue, a wall of the synagogue, and then he says, even if he's zokheh, to buy one nail, one metal nail that'll be banged into one of the uh, walls of this year of the Bet Knesset, this is considered an unfathomable zechut for a person. Maran Shulchan Aruch quotes the Zohar. Maran Shuhana Ruch in the Zohar quotes the Zohar that says in the synagogue one must build 12 windows and preferably there should be 3 windows on all the sides but if not at least there should be Yudbet Halonot in order that he'd be able to see the heavens Hakamim tell us that one of the ways that one can bring fear of heaven into his neshama, into his body, is to look at the heaven. When you look up and you think of the letters Yudke Vavke, and you think of it with the nikudot of the words Yir'ah, the way you spell Yir'ah is under the Yud, there's a Hirik. Under the Resh, there's a Sheva. And under the Aleph, there's a Patah. And if you think of the name Yud Ke Vav Ke with a Hirik, a Sheva, and a Patah. And the Mikubalim say that immediately when one thinks of that, Yud Ke Vav Ke Benikudot Yirah Yirat immediately enters his, his system. And therefore the synagogue you need windows. A person is praying to Hamidah, his mind starts to wander. So he looks up at the heavens, he has that Kavanah. And right, he's placed back in the zone. Right, he's placed back in focus. Furthermore, the Rashid Chokmah brings down that God pierces through the windows of the synagogue. God's manifestation in Kedushah is by the windows. Like the Pasuk says, Mashkiach menachalonot. God is supervising or looking from the windows. Which windows? Of the synagogue. And he is piercing from the cracks. The cracks of what? The cracks of the Kotel Amarabi. Today when you go to the western wall in Jerusalem, you must know that the Shekhinah is at the western wall in one of the highest concentrations. And in those cracks... It says one of the rabbis, Rabbi Yosef, he once, he once looked through the cracks of the Kotel Amarabi, and he says that he was able to see whatever that means to see 
he was able to see the manifestation of the Shekhinah. Metzitz min harakim, and he heard a voice crying, that God was crying about the destruction of Jerusalem. Today that we are in exile, that we don't have access to the Kotel HaMaharabi every day. But the windows of a synagogue, God, God pierces through. And on Shabbat, the Kedushah of the synagogue is higher. Because the concentration of Shekhinah is that much more. The Zohar tells us that in the heavens, there are also windows. And it says those windows are like... How shall I say it? They're like tunnels. Gigantic, huge. Each windows, who knows how many sizes of the universe. And these windows are the processing centers of the prayers. Each tribe has a window. A person comes from the Shevet Zivulun, his prayers go up into Zivulun's processing center. And there's Shomrim at each Window, there's watchmen, and they take all the tefillot and they send it to the different areas. If, forgive me, it's like a UPS uh, center where they have a system where all the tefillot get put according to the zip code, according to who's praying it, according to the kabbana, and they're processed in the heavens. But I want to tell you what the Hida says. Hida says that that's for regular tefillot. Each tribe has their window. But he says the tefillah, the sefaradim, the way we pray according to our nosah, it goes up all 12 windows. The nosah of the sefaradim praying according to the opinion of the arizal, then already it's, it's type O blood. It's universal. It goes through all the gates. The benu yitzhak luri ashkenazi, the arizal, he prayed with the Sefaradim, even though he was an Ashkenaz. As a matter of fact, the Nosah that we pray today is from the Ariya Kadosh. And that's why our prayers that are done specifically in the Bet Knesset go from the windows of the Bet Knesset and they go up to those windows, as we said in the beginning of the Shi'ur Machon the Shiftecha. The parallel synagogue. It leaves the synagogue on earth and it goes to the synagogue in heaven. Harambam writes, it's not just derich edits to be well behaved in a synagogue. It's not just refined character. It's a mitzvah from the Torah, Mikdashi Tira'u. You must fear the temple. You must revere it. You must have awe for it. This is something that we have lost. The Achamim tell us that when one enters the synagogue, he cannot run into the synagogue. He has to stop at the mezuzah. Anytime he comes in, not only during shaharit, whether it's shaharit, minharabit, and he must put his hand on the mezuzah. And he must say, Va'ani bechastecha avo betecha. And he must bow in front of the one that rests his presence. 
במקום הקדוש הזה. And the Zohar says, when he says, ואני בחסדך, חסד, אברהם אבינו comes to him. אבו ביתך אשתחווה, יצחק אבינו comes to him. ביראתך, יעקב אבינו comes to him. And he sits down in the synagogue, he has Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov that are next to him. So you can ask me, what do you mean Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov? How many times could Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov sit next to people? Well, whatever you're going to answer, how Eliyahu and Nabi can go to every Brit Milah, that's how Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov can come and surround every Jew in the synagogue. How does Eliyahu and Nabi go to a Brit Milah in Australia, and then he goes to another Brit Milah on the other side of the world, and the tradition is he's at both of them. Means a, a nitzot, a spark, a light of the soul of the Navi. They break the light into many parts, and the spark goes in, a spark goes there. When a person enters the Bet Knesset and he says that pasuk, Hazdecha, Eshtachave, Biratecha, Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov are surrounding him. And the Zohar says specifically when a person comes in dressed with talit and tefillin into the synagogue. Oh, this is the highest level. To the extent, we know how important it is to meet to the first ten of the synagogue, of the minyan. Being the first ten is, the Gemara says you get credit for the whole minyan. For everybody that follows you, you get your credit plus theirs. And being the first one, you get credit for the whole minyan. That's the highest level. But still the rabbis of the Zohar say, to walk into the synagogue with Talir and Tefidina, that's even greater than being from the first ten of the Bet Knesset. I heard a story recently from the Ben Sion Mutsafi. A personal story that he said that impacted him on what Kiddushat Bet Knesset is. He was once visiting in Ashdod to the great Mekubal Rabbi Meir Abu Hasera. Zechel Tzaddik Vekadosh Lebraka. Baba Meir was known to be Hasida Kaddisha. He was Benam Shil Kedoshim. He was a, a piece of holiness. And Hakam bin Sion Mutsafi was talking with him. And it was a time of Minha. So Baba Meir said, oh, We're going to walk to the synagogue now. And they walked to the synagogue. They're talking the Torah the whole way. And all of a sudden he says, Baba Meir gets close to the synagogue and he starts to shake. Shaking, like he, like he saw a ghost. And he starts to sweat. And you see the, the pressure on his face. He's in the middle of talking to Ben Torah. He stops. And Ben Sion thought something happened to me. He didn't know what happened. All of a sudden, there's something, something possessed him. And he puts his hand on the mezuzah. And his hand is shaking. He bows, he said his head almost touched the ground. And after he finished bowing, as he entered the synagogue, he came to the Aron Kodesh and kissed it three times. And then he walks backwards, not to put his back to the Hechal. And after he walks backwards, he signaled to Rabbi Sion, mm, mm. and he points to a certain room, they go into the room, and he finishes the Devret Torah outside the synagogue. And then he says, okay, now let's go back into Minha. Unfortunately, we were not brought up to see this, this Pahad HaMikdash. This Yirat HaMikdash. Of the greatest Hakanut, they understood that they were entering the inner sanctum of God. And these were the greatest of our rabbis.
The Rishit Chokhmah says that that's why we have a Ner Tamid in the synagogue. You need a candle that's lit 24 hours a day. Because in the Beit HaMikdash, the Pasuk says that you also had a Ner Tamid. The Ha'anot Ner Tamid, the Menorah lasted 24 hours a day. And therefore, as a replica to the Beit HaMikdash, you also need Ner Tamid. So you have the Kodesh Kodashim, you have the Parochet, you have the Ner Tamid. It's a miniature Beit HaMikdash. And today, Baruch Hashem, we have lights. It's a better Ner Tamid. Chaim Palachi says the candles make smoke. It causes the, the walls of the, of the Beit Kodesh to become blackened. Here, Baruch Hashem, we have lights. We were able to fulfill the mitzvah behidur ze'eliva and vehu elohei abiva romemenhu. Harambam talks about if a person has a house that's attached to the synagogue, it's a common wall. Is the guy living in his house allowed to hang a picture up on his wall? Why? You're banging a, a hole into the wall of the Beit Knesset, but it's on my side. Yeah, but it's a common wall. Mo'el Behekdesh. You're desecrating Kodesh. It's a she'elan alakha. And in our time, people think that the Beit Knesset is Shuk Mahanei Yehuda. Where everybody comes in with their signs and their posters without asking permission, without any purpose, because the guy wants to make some business selling whatever he's selling, and they go and they start to, they start to attach all sorts of uh, posters and all sorts of moda'ot all over the synagogue. And today it's even worse. Today the synagogue now became unofficial newsstands. We're in the synagogue itself, all the publications and all the magazines, of course, it gets boring sometimes in the synagogue. During Sefer Torah, during the Hazara, you see people taking magazines and they're, they're flipping through the magazines. Or even worse than that, they're bringing newspapers. And you see a person sitting reading a newspaper in the Beit HaMikdash, in the, in the Beit HaMikdash Me'at, Shema Yisrael. Imagine you go to the Beit HaMikdash in Yerushalayim, you see the Kohenic Adol standing over the Korban, reading a, uh, reading a newspaper. You know, stoking the coals of the uh, of the mizbeach over a uh, over a, uh, a, a over a daily newspaper. Shalom. This is something where we have lost our sensitivity. Shmuel Aruch writes: You have to clean your shoes before you enter the Beit Hamikdash. In the in the olden days, they wouldn't wear shoes in the Beit Hamikdash, but in the Beit Knesset, you have to make sure that your shoes are clean. The Kabayashah writes, you kiss the walls of the Bet Knesset. Yeah. You kiss the walls of the Bet Knesset. Just like the Shlab rings down, before you eat the Matzah and Pesach, you kiss the Matzah. This Matzah is going to get you Ulam Abba. It's Kodesh. Unfortunately, we're kissing everything else. So, if they're kissing the Matzah, guy once told me that. Oh, what do you mean kissing the Matzah? And what does that mean? You just kissed everybody at this Bar Mitzvah over here. Now I'm telling you to kiss the matzah. Now you have a question over here. You kissed much more object- objectionable things over here tonight. Now all of a sudden you became uh, mahmir over here. Shamanigi, I don't want to kiss the matzah. <laughs> this became mahmir. The shakadosh is you're supposed to kiss the lulav and the atrog. You kiss the walls of the sukkah. You kiss the sisit. This is going to get you ulam It's going to get you eternity. The old timers understood this. 
you ever saw the old ladies, when they would walk down the street, they would pass the Bet Knesset, you see they bow in front of the Bet Knesset. They would kiss the walls from outside of the Bet Knesset. Minhag nashim zekenot. We can learn from these ladies. These minhag nashim zekenot. They had pure yirat shabbat. The walls on the outside of the synagogue, the brick. They would walk by, they'd, they'd kiss, the, uh, kiss the bricks. Ba'arizal had a synagogue in Tzvat. You can go visit the synagogue today. It is close to 500 years old. It is still around. With all the earthquakes that took place in this holy city of Tzvat, miraculously the Bet Knesset of the Ari is still there. It's right next to the famous cemetery. The Arizal, in his synagogue, when you walk into the left, there's a certain a room. It wasn't always a room, but they cornered it off to make a room out of it. And there's always candles that are lit over there. They called that room Hedir Shal Ilyaw Navi. Ilyaw Navi's room. Why? So the story is told that when the Arizal died, the Gizbar, the Shamosh of the Beta Knesset, was the Bibin Yamina Gizbar, they called him. The one that was the, uh, the caretaker to the synagogue. When the Arizal died, the Bibin Yamina Gizbar became sick. And he wasn't able to come to the Beta Knesset to tend to the needs of the synagogue of the Ari. And it was in the winter time, it was close to the winter time. And the Ari appeared to Rabbi bin Yamin in a dream. And he told him, listen, we have a problem in the synagogue. The roof is leaking. You have to go fix the roof of the Bet Knesset. Otherwise the water is going to fall on them at Palilin. They're going to lose their Kavanah. It's going to ruin the Bet Knesset. Rabbi bin Yamin said, what are you talking? I'm sick. I can't even move. I'm in bed there. I'm sick the whole season over here. Give me a bit So he tells him, please. You have to fix the roof. Now I'll fix the roof. I can't get out. I can't get out of bed. He said, and then I'm warning you. Where I sat, when you enter the synagogue, there's a stone. On that spot, you must, you mustn't allow anybody to sit there. You must get another stone that's very big and put it above that stone, so nobody sits on it because it'll be sekanagidola. Great danger. Why? He says, because in that spot I used to learn every day with Eliyahu and Navi. And the Kiddushah of that spot is very great in the Bet Knesset. And therefore, nobody can enter that spot. So they quarantined it off. So till today, you walk into the Bet Knesset of the Ari, you see that spot where Eliyahu and Navi used to learn with him in the synagogue. And then it says, Eliyahu, uh, the Arizal gave his student his hand in the dream, and he lifted him out of the bed. Rabbi says, I felt I was holding the Arizal, I was in a dream, I felt I was holding his hand. And he got up and he was healed. And of course he went to the Bet Knesset, and he did what he was supposed to do. And he told him, that he told him the following, that anybody that respects the Bet Knesset and doesn't talk in the synagogue, will be Zochef Arichut Yamim, will be Zochef a long life. And he said, the Pasuk says, Mepene Sevatakum. The word seva, Rashi Tevot, Shetika, 
יפה בשעת התפילה. מפני שיבה תקום. If one has שיבה שתיקה יפה בבית התפילה או בשעת התפילה, תקום. You will have an existence. You will have longevity. Today, there is a new Yetzirara that has tampered our uh, ability to respect the synagogue as we should. And that is the invention of cellular phones. I cannot tell you on a personal note how annoying it is to try to deliver a class whether it's to the men or to the ladies and have cell phones that are ringing at all times and to have people picking up the cell phones in the middle of the shi'ur and carrying on conversations and jumping up in and out in order to tend to their business. But how much more so is it disrespectful when one is not sitting in front of a rabbi, but one is sitting in the house of God, to come into a synagogue with a cell phone? According to the halakha, it's forbidden. Really, there should be takanot that everybody must check their cell phones in at the, at the door. Or it should be mandatory that the cell phones must be shut off. But I don't think that works. Because even at funerals, people do not have the decency to make sure that their cell phones are turned off. And it disturbs some of the most, some of the most serious of our rituals and ceremonies. But certainly in the Bet Knesset, a person is sitting in the middle of the tefillah and he's picking up his phone or he's texting messages or he's receiving emails or he's looking at his blackberry. What would the Hagamim say? If in a movie theater, in a movie theater, you can get a summons today if your cellular phone goes off because you're disturbing the movie. Our synagogue should have less sanctity than a movie theater. Badmanan, the casinos, where people are involved in, in gambling, there is no service, no phone service in a casino. Why? Because they don't want you to make a hefsek as you're rolling the dice. He, he cannot have a hefsek that... Hazrat Shalom, you'll, you'll stop for a second. You have to be somech. Not geulad et filah. You have to be somech. Gehinnam de gehinnam. So therefore, no, no phone service because... Kavana. What can we say about a synagogue? A synagogue is less than a casino, Hazrat Shalom. Where we come in with, with all our gadgetry. And in the middle, in places that we're not allowed to talk, interrupting others... The other day there was somebody making Kohanim. His hands are up in the Shamayim. He's making Kohanim. Yibarek Eka Hashem. And also he has phone. To the, to the tune of the Lone Ranger. He's stuck. His hands are in the Shamayim. He's giving Baraka. What's going on over here? What's going on over here? This is unacceptable behavior. And this has become common practice. 
that everybody everybody has a phone attached to them. We don't think to turn it off. And more annoying is the vibrating. More annoying. We're in the middle of the Amidah. And you hear all the vibrating throughout the synagogue. And the people, they don't hear it. We hear it. And it's, it's more vexing. And therefore there should be takanot. A person should close his cell phone before he comes into the synagogue. Unless a person is working for Hatzalah, God bless them, with Pikuach Nefesh, then you need it. A person says, I, uh, my rabbi have an important phone call. What did we do six years ago? What did we do ten years ago? What did our parents and grandparents do? They didn't have important phone calls. Baruch Hashem, they made it. So for the half hour, forty minutes of Atifidot, this is Kabot Bete Knesset. In a courtroom, you're not allowed to have your cell phone on. Imagine the judge is giving you a, 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 a sentencing and the cell phone goes off. Our synagogue is not worse than a courtroom. There is no place for cell phones in the Beit HaKeneset. But if that's what we're talking about, we must also discuss... The different halachot, the weddings, and the different ceremonies that we have in the synagogue. Yerbusa mahot bi Israel. Amen. We pray that there will be weddings every single night. Not one a night, three a night, four a night. We should be inundated with hatunot. And Britot and Pidyonim and all different farah. But that being said, our synagogues, our synagogues are being desecrated unfortunately, unintentionally of course, at these parties. How uncomfortable is it to see that synagogues turn into photo studios? When photographers come and set up on the on the teba, on the bima, could you imagine if a bunch of uh, fellows with uh, cameras and all sorts of uh, equipment and video would walk into the Beit Hamikdash and walk into the Kodesh Kodashim and start setting up? What are you doing over here? This is Beit Hamikdash. Oh, we have a bar mitzvah. We have a wedding. And Hatanim and Kalot are standing not dressed properly in the Beit Knesset. And the photographer is saying, put your arm over here, put your hand over here, put your thing over here. In the Beit Knesset, no less. Things that we're embarrassed to do in the bedroom. And now we're doing it in the synagogue of, of God. Hechal Hashem, Hechal Hashem. But unfortunately, this has become common practice, people think of the contrary it's Kiddushas, good luck, we'll make a wedding in the synagogue and I've said many times if a person has to make a wedding, better for him to make it in a hotel better for him to make it in a hall because it's very difficult between the the immodest dress code and then the marching shnayim, shnayim, teva. that two at a time come down now it's three at a time because they have a, a new minhag and the dress is not proper, and it becomes an informal fashion show, and the, the synagogue becomes a runway, and everybody's sitting down like, uh, like the Saudava Hasverosh, and everybody's uh, commenting and looking. 
in a synagogue and they're talking and then you see people that after they're walking in the synagogue with a drink with a kibbeh, with a lahmaji in a synagogue that Allah says you can't eat it's not a mess hall it's not a cafeteria in the synagogue And the synagogue becomes, because of a hatuna, which is sha'at mitzvah, it becomes desecrated, halil of the has. This is something that we have to think about. The shla writes, sakanat to even pray in a synagogue that they talk. You don't talk, but sakanat to pray in a synagogue that they talk. Because he says the samich mem is there. The Hasbun Shalom, the Sitra Hara is there. And therefore, you must make it your business to only pray in the Minyan that they have strict orders that the rabbi's in charge, not the not every five minutes a member of the services committee has to bend the Tehra. And if a few minutes it's quiet, then all of a sudden it's the Sayyidi Ruah, the Ashmaharai called Ashgadol. This is unacceptable. Rav Hida writes. If a person knows that he can't control himself and he's going to talk, he should pray at home, he says. I'm scared to say this halakha too loud, we're going to dismantle many minyanim. <laughs> but that's Haida writes. Better to pray in the house than to come to the synagogue and talk. Hakamim tell us, fortunate are those that sit in the synagogue. Just to sit in the synagogue. To come to a shi'ur. Even though you don't understand what's being said, there's ulam abba just to sit in the synagogue. They will have a future. I know myself that one of the, one of the highlights whenever I visit Eretz Israel, there's a synagogue in the Bukharim section called Mosayof. It's a host of synagogues. Seven, eight, maybe ten, maybe even more, all next to each other. And there's constant minyanim. Minyan for shaharit and number two, and number four, and number six. From five o'clock in the morning till twelve o'clock at night. Shaharit, ten minyanim happening at one time. And the, the amazing, and shaharim, and a very holy place. And when I was young, I went to Israel for my bar mitzvah. And I, I prayed in that synagogue. For two months when I was there for the summer. And every day I enjoyed the Tifriot. Rabbi Kaduri, may live and be well, used to pray in that Beit Knesset. I used to pray with him in the mornings there. To see the great Sadiq, may Hashem give him long life and health. Amen. Amen. And whenever I go to visit, I cannot tell you the highlight is just to go sit in one of those synagogues. At two o'clock in the afternoon. Nothing's going on there, it's quiet. Just to go sit in the synagogue over there to take out a sefer. You feel the holiness of Yerushalayim, but how many Amenima answered in this building? How many Kedushot? How many Barechus? How much Sadaqah was written? You feel a sensation. Yes, there's Ranyan to come and just even sit in the Bet Knesset. There was one lady that got very old and she got very sick, so she came to the Biyoseh. She says, my teeth don't work, my eyes don't work, my hands don't work, I have no, no chayshik, I have no desire to continue to live. Rabbi Yosef says, tell me what you do every day. 
says, every day I go and I sit in the Bet Knesset. So the Biyo says, it's fine, stop going to the Bet Knesset. Three days later she died. The Bet Knesset brings life. In Halab, there was a great rabbi called Rabbi Mordechai Labaton. There was a synagogue that they built called Midrash Bet Abud in Syria in Aleppo. And Allahah says that the synagogue has to be the tallest of all the buildings. Today we're lenient on this because you need to build high rises because there's no room for people to live. But the older days they didn't really build high rises. So the synagogue needed to stand out. So they were building Kines Bet Abud. They built it they were building it high as they were building it. And there was a mosque next door. And it was taller than the mosque as they're building it. So the mayor of the city in Halab comes along and says, you have to take it down. What do you mean? Your synagogue is more important than our mosque? So they went to the Bimur Dechel Baton. He said, don't worry, keep on building the synagogue. Pay no attention to this guy. One of the ministers in Halab went to the mayor and said, Dachilak, don't start with the Jews. Don't start with them, let them build. Goy, but he, he knew not to start with the Jews. They came to the Bimur Dechel Baton. said, what do you mean this guy? Who knows what he's capable of doing for us? He said, I told you, don't worry. That night he went to sleep, the mayor didn't wake up. He tried to, to, to stall the construction of a Beit Knesset. The Benish High in Baghdad, they used to make Tikkun Hatsot every night. Where they make Tikkun Hatsot? So it's a midnight vigil, every night praying for the Beit HaMikdash on the roof of the synagogue. Because in Baghdad in the summer it's very hot. You see now what's going on in Iraq. In the summer it's unbearable, over 100 degrees. They didn't have air condition. So every night the Jews of Baghdad would go on the roof and they're crying and they're weeping over the destruction. And they're crying with the ma'at. So the, one of the governors of, of Baghdad came along, what kind of business is over here? What are you crying every night at 12 o'clock? We hear Jews wailing on top of the roof of the synagogue. The Ben Yishai told them, the Ben Yishai is destroyed, he's going to stop us from crying? Leave him, it's okay. Keep on, keep on making the tikkun. Sure enough, the governor woke up one night, he walks out of his house to stop them, he fell, and he died. This is what we're talking about tonight. Now, can't we have to be from talking in the synagogue? Hakamim gave a dirash, Hashem yilachem lachem, v'atim tacharishun. If you want God to fight our battles, if you want God to fight the Meketregim in heaven that are, that are fighting against us, that are prosecuting against us, if you want God to fight the human enemies that we have, the anti-Semites around the world, the Pasuk says, Hashem yilachem nachem, God will fight for you. Ve'atem, taharishun. All God's asking you, keep quiet. Don't talk in the synagogue. Don't joke around in the synagogue. You can't laugh in the synagogue like you laugh outside in the street. You can't just think of the synagogue as a, as a living room or a den or a parlor. That's why the Arizal was very careful. He wouldn't even say words of Musar in the Bet Knesset. Because he didn't want from the words of Musar it might lead to, to something else. And the Kafa Haim, the Benu Yaakov Haim Sofer, he would always leave Shaharit during Alenu the Shabayah. He would never stay for the end of Alenu. They asked him once, Hakam, why do you ever stay till the end of Alenu? He goes, I'm worried right after the Tifilah, somebody might come and ask me a question, and I might come to start talking to Varim, Shalhunim. 
don't want to talk in the Bet Knesset. These were the great Hakimi that understood the Kedushah. Our nation is in need of a lot of Yeshuaot. They did statistics that in the Jewish community, 16,000 new cases of the Mahala every year. How many traffic accidents? How much cases of drug addiction? And how much cases of Shalom Bayit and divorce? And how many problems throughout the community? Not only our community, the Jewish community at large. Am Yisrael needs a lot of zikhuyot. And the Zohar is telling you it starts in the Bet Knesset. Et Rau. Few weeks ago we learned about Amen. Oh, this is a great item. And Baruch Hashem, since we gave that shi'ur, I'm noticing in the community, and I notice myself, that the Aminim now have value to them. Every Amen is precious. We're running to hear the Aminim. You cannot imagine the zikhut that that's creating in the heavens. Both for our nation and for yourselves. It's bringing biracha. But tonight as well, in tonight's part two, we learn about the Kiddushah of the Bet Knesset. It's not the place for joking around. It's not a place where we make parties in the synagogue. The sanctity of the, of the Bet Knesset. The sanctity of the synagogue. And Be'azat Hashem, we pray that the third Beit HaMikdash will be built. And all these satellite synagogues will be uprooted and rebuilt in Yerushalayim, Kodesh, and they will be able to serve God. But if we want the Mashiach to come steadily in our days, the Zohar says, speaking in the Beit Knesset and disregarding it, Hazbe Shalom stalls the Geulah. Tonight, we have involved ourselves in the most lofty of ideas. We have involved ourselves in the most noble of causes. To hasten the Mashiach. And everybody should say to himself that they're going to be strong in this. Each one to himself should strengthen themselves and say, I'm going to change my attitude. I'm going to pray in a synagogue that's quiet. That there's no talk. That you can hear the Sefer Torah. Imagine that. People think it's a big thing. They come out of synagogue. Oh, today was great. We heard the Sefer Torah. As if it's a novelty. That's, that, that as if it's unexpected. As if it's something Hindus. Oh, you heard the Sefer Torah today. Go, what do you think? And Hazrat Shalom, when you go to synagogue and they become political arenas. When the synagogues now, it's... When a person comes out of the synagogue, they ask him, what happened today in shul? What happened? When did you go to the fights? What do you mean, what happened? Meaning, the action. What did he say? What did the president say? What was the politics? What was... So our synagogues have become forums of mahloket and kina'ah and sid'ah and tahrut. Whether it's the competition in the men's section or the competition in the ladies' section. With all the envy and the jealousy and all Shalom, the problems. The synagogue has become an asylum for people to come and conduct business, conduct social activities, to conduct everything, but to come close. Well, in the interim, as if... In the interim, we say a couple of words of tefillah, then we go back as if we're interrupting our personal with the tefillah. The tefillah has become the uh, interruption. And Be'ezat Hashim, we can work on ourselves, as I said, I will not delay you no longer. But Ulam will speedily build the Bet HaMikdash in our times. But in the interim, the mind of Bet HaMikdash will serve as a 
inspiration. So something that we can look forward to, that when Yerushalayim will reach its uh, original glory, Amen.